good morning, church. Welcome here this morning. It's good to be together with you in the house of the Lord today. We thank the Lord that we have the opportunity to gather in His name this morning. Amen. And we give Him all the praise and glory He deserves. Before we move into studying the Word together, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful that we can gather in the name of our Savior Jesus, and we thank you for this church that we are a part of. We thank you that your Word says that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, as we spend time studying your Word today, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the Scriptures that we read so that we would not only understand them, but have the ability were applicable to apply them. Lord, grant us the wisdom to take what you've given us in your word in order to make a difference in the way we live out our Christian lives and the influence we have in this world. And Lord, as we delve further into the book of Revelation today, we ask that you would continue to reveal your magnificence, your glory, and your ultimate plan that you have for our lives and for this world so that we would live in anticipation of these things, and more specifically, in anticipation of your return. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Could you maybe turn this monitor down just a little bit? Thank you. Well, church, it's really good to be with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you what the Lord has laid on my heart for today's message. As you would recall, last week we started looking at some of the very interesting events of the tribulation period as Jesus starts to open the scroll with the seven seals, which as we know by now is the title deed to the earth. And together with the trumpets and bowls, these seals are all a part of God's redemptive plan to achieve five major objectives. Can you remember what those objectives are? Number one is to preach the gospel to all the nations. Number two is to bring Israel as a whole to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number three, to evict Satan and his followers and judge them. Number four, to take possession of the earth. And last but not least, the ultimate goal and objective, number five, is to set up God's kingdom here upon the earth. God has a sovereign plan through all of these events, and we must understand that he will use various agents to fulfill his plan including the Antichrist, humans, angels, demons, and even Satan. While this may be difficult for us to comprehend with our finite minds, it's a testament to God's sovereignty and His ability to work all things together for His purposes, and I would say to work all things together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Amen? The first seal in Revelation chapter 6 introduces the Antichrist who initially appears as a counterfeit Messiah riding on a white horse. He promises peace and will even broker a peace treaty in the Middle East, deceiving many, including the Jewish people. However, his true nature will be revealed halfway through the tribulation because the subsequent seals unleash devastation in the form of war, famine, and pestilence on an unprecedented scale. These events will result in the deaths of a quarter of the world's population, and if what we read were to happen right now in the year 2023, that would mean over 2 billion people destroyed by these judgments. So I think you're probably starting to agree with me when I said that what we are heading into 
from chapter 6 through 18 are some of the heaviest chapters, not just in the book of Revelation, but really in the whole Bible. And so you might be wondering today, well, could it get any worse? I mean, what we've been through already is really bad. How much worse could it get? Well, Jesus said, that's just the beginning of sorrows. And the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, and Daniel all said that it would be the worst time ever. But what I want to show you today, church, is a pause. Or to put it another way, what I want to show you is some good news in the midst of bad news. Listen, make no mistake, there is coming a period in the future that will be the worst time in all of human history by far. But at the same time, and depending on your perspective, it could also be the best time in human history. It will be the worst time physically, but it could very well be the best time spiritually. It will be a time of great tribulation, but as we'll see today, it will also be a time of great salvation. And that's why I've titled my message today, The Great Salvation. Right? Not the Great Tribulation, but the Great Salvation. Yes, we are still going through the tribulation, but in the midst of that, we are going to see the great salvation. Now, before we carry on any further today, I want to read what it says in chapter 6 about the fifth seal that Jesus opens. Firstly, because we haven't covered that yet, but also because this ties in with what happens in chapter 7. So verses 9 to 11 says, When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer, listen to this, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is speaking about martyrdom during the tribulation period. Now you may be wondering, how are people going to be saved during the tribulation period if indeed the church is taken up before the tribulation? I mean, who's going to be preaching the gospel to them, right? Well, I'm glad you thought about that question because they will be able to hear the gospel from three different sources. Number one, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists unleashed on the earth, which we'll look at today. Number two, there will be two witnesses that arrive at a very pivotal moment of the tribulation, which we find in chapter 11. And number three, in chapter 14, there's going to be an angel flying in the atmosphere of the earth, around the earth, to preach the gospel. Just think about that for a moment. And with all of these different sources spreading the gospel, God's salvation comes on display at the most unexpected time, which means there's going to be good news in the midst of bad news. Tell the person next to you, God is always up to something good. Amen? Now, what's important to understand about Revelation chapter 7 is that it is a parenthetical chapter. Sounds like a big word, but it's like an interlude you would have between two songs. It's not in chronological order because, as you'll see, it is placed right between these judgments, even before the seals have been completed, and it looks out of place. It kind of is out of place. But all you and I need to know about why this is placed here 
out of chronological order, the main purpose for this parenthetical chapter is to give you and I valuable information so that we'll have a better understanding of what's going on throughout this book. Does that make sense? There's a few more parenthetical chapters as we go through the book of Revelation, and the Holy Spirit has divinely put all these things together in the Word of God to help us better understand what's going on. Now, just a quick thing to note before we start reading chapter 7. If you can remember, the last verse of chapter 6, verse 17 says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And who can stand? Church, that question of who can stand is going to be answered in chapter 7. So let's start reading what it says from verses 1 to 4. It says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. That doesn't mean that the earth is flat and square. It just means north, south, east, and west. And it says, Holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel." And just so there's no mistake as to who they are, the sons of Israel are listed from verse 5 to verse 8. Twelve tribes are mentioned, and 12 times 12,000 is equal to 144,000. It says the tribes of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And you know, church, it's quite interesting how so many groups or different denominations have tried to identify with the 144,000 throughout history. Probably the most obvious one is the Jehovah's Witnesses. And if you identify with 144,000 in that context, that means that there's only 144,000 of you that are going to make it into heaven. Right? So, sorry about the rest of you. There was also a church in the early 1900s by the name of the Worldwide Church of God who believed that they were the 144,000. That church doesn't exist anymore. And even, I don't know if you know this, but even most Seventh-day Adventists identify with the 144,000. And I say this with respect, church, but all of them are reading the Bible incorrectly. Because who are the 144,000? That's right. You've read it for yourself. It says so there in the text. You don't have to guess who they are. They are Jews. They are the sons of Israel. You know, the more that I dig into the Word of God and understand biblical doctrine, the more it becomes clear to me that the Jewish people have a special place in God's prophetic plan. God made covenants with the Jewish nation throughout history, and He is going to fulfill those covenants. In the recent series we did on Israel, we saw how God is going to completely restore that nation physically and spiritually. Some people don't like to put any real focus on Jewish people because of their view on eschatology. right? And no matter which way you look at that, do you know, for instance, that three quarters of your Bible is about the Hebrew race? 
Approximately 75% of the Bible you hold in your hands or you have on your Bible app is about the Jewish nation. Every author in Scripture is Jewish, barring one person, and that is Luke. The apostles of Jesus Christ were all Jewish. Jesus himself, our Savior, was Jewish. The first church in Jerusalem was a Jewish congregation. The prophetic calendar given to Daniel, the prophet, is all about Jerusalem and the Jewish nation. And the Apostle Paul summed it all up in Romans chapter 9 by saying this. He said, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You see, church, the main purpose of the tribulation is to prepare Israel to receive its Messiah. Yes, many others are going to be saved during that time from every tribe, nation, and tongue. But there's a reason that it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation is given that title in Jeremiah chapter 30, as a time of Jacob or Israel's trouble, and it's to prepare Israel to nationally receive Jesus as the Messiah. Now, as we know, they don't do that today. And they didn't do that the first time he came because the Bible says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. But that will all change one day and the 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists are the starting point of that conversion. Now, what does it mean to be sealed? A seal is a piece of wax with an impression made upon that wax with a signet ring, and the seal means two things. It means ownership, and it means protection. I own it because it's my signet ring, it's my signature, and I will protect it by sealing it. As a very good example, as Christians, do you know that we are sealed? Ephesians chapter 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Amen? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When we are saved, we are sealed. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? In the same way, the 144,000 are sealed, which means that they are saved Jewish people. They will receive Jesus, or as they would call it in their language, Yeshua as their Messiah, and they will be sealed and protected by God during the tribulation period. So with that being said, what is their purpose? What is the purpose of God doing this with the 144,000 Jewish people? Well, church, they will become evangelists during the tribulation period. And have you ever seen or listened to a born-again Jewish believer? They are a force to be reckoned with, with. When you find a Messianic Jew, somebody who was raised Jewish and studied the Jewish scriptures their whole lives, and they come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, look out because that person is going to make a difference and become very influential. Because they don't receive the Messiah as some small thing or as a new religion. It is a game changer for them. 
Because they come to know the Messiah that they've been waiting for all along, confirmed in their own sacred scriptures. Listen, the, the world in the first century heard the gospel around the known world. Why? Because of 12 Jewish apostles. Together with the other disciples, they turned the world upside down and imagine 144,000 of those guys doing the same thing. Imagine 144,000 Apostle Paul's preaching the gospel. Amen? Now, what's really encouraging as we move on in this chapter is that during the Great Tribulation, there will be great multitudes that experience great salvation, not just the 144,000. Have a look with me at verse 9, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? These are saved, praising people. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes, and, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is all salvation language. Verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's beautiful, right? Church, there's a lot there, but let's focus on a few important things from these verses. In verse 9, when it says, A great multitude that no one could number... It doesn't mean that it was such a big number that they were unable to be counted. It just means that no one person on their own could stand there and count accurately how many were in that crowd. It doesn't mean that you couldn't affix a number to it, but it is a big enough multitude of people that no one person could tell you. Also in verse 9, it describes their ethnicity. What does it say? A multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Amen to that, right? And church, what does that mean? That means that God is not a respect of persons. And that He doesn't favor one group of people more than another. Amen? Salvation is open to everyone who would believe. And you know what else that means? That means that the child, sibling, parent or friend that you've been witnessing to... And praying for all your life, if they are alive at that point, they will still have a chance to receive Christ. They will see what's happening in the world. They'll probably see you being gone as part of the church. And they might just remember that you would, what you said about Jesus and the rapture, 
in the end times, right? So what does that mean? That means don't stop witnessing. Because even though it doesn't seem like they're listening, something is going in. And yes, obviously, it would be much easier for them to give their hearts to Jesus Christ now, but even in that time of great tribulation, there's going to be an opportunity for great salvation. That's God's heart through all of this. Something else to notice here in verse 14, it says very clearly that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. These aren't the saints that are raptured before the tribulation or some random group of believers. When the elder says, who are they? John goes, sir, I don't know, you know. And the question was asked so that it could be answered to show that these are the ones who are washed in the blood. These are the saved people from the tribulation period that will be martyred for what they believe. It also says there in verse 14, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are also wearing white robes like the ones under the altar when the fifth seal is opened. And these martyrs described here as the great multitude, and in chapter 6, when the fifth seal is opened as those who had been slain for the word of God, points to the fact that as the tribulation wears on, all of those judgments, all that persecution that comes from the Antichrist, the people who believe in Christ that will be killed for their faith will just rise and rise and rise. Those numbers will continue to go up, which, when you think about it, is kind of horrible to think about on the one hand. But on the other hand, encouraging to know that even in the time of great tribulation, there will be this great salvation that sweeps across the earth. Amen? But it doesn't end there. Because look at what it says about these martyrs in verse 16. It says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And what does this mean, church? This means that the tribulation period, during that time, they will have hungered. Because we'll find out as we go further in the book of Revelation, that people won't be able to buy or sell anything unless they take the mark of the beast. They will have refused to do that, and they will have starved because of it. In the tribulation period, the sources of water on the earth will have been polluted by the judgments of God, but that's now over for these people, and their thirst will be satisfied. And it says they won't be scorched anymore by the sun, because again, that's something that we're going to find happening in the tribulation period. So there's no more hunger, there's no more thirst, they will have reprieve from the scorching sun, but here's the best part. Verse 17 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a great promise that is, amen? Just give the Lord a shout of praise for that. Church, there's a friend of mine that has this saying where he says about a certain situation, but God... He says, but God, and he, he puts his hands together like this. So in other words, as an example, yes, life is challenging and the enemy is always at work, but God. Yes, the doctor says it's a serious diagnosis and the future doesn't look that bright for me, but God. 
Yes, evil looks like it's having its way and the world is getting darker and darker by the minute. Say it together with me, but God. And you know what, church? It's the same with what's going to happen in the last days. There is coming a period in the future that will be the worst time in all of human history, by far. But God is going to cause the great salvation to happen where a multitude of people so big will be saved that no one person could count them. And they will be saved from every place on earth, every language, and every background. And how do they get saved? There's going to be the 144,000 Jewish evangelists unleashed on the earth. There will be two witnesses that arrive at a very pivotal moment of the tribulation. And then there's going to be this angel flying in the atmosphere of the earth, around the earth, preaching the gospel. That's all going to happen, and then the end will come. You know, a lot of people believe, because many of us have been taught this way, that the rapture will only occur once the gospel is preached to every nation and tribe and language. Who, who's believed that before? I used to believe that. But have a look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and 25, also known as the Olivet Discourse, is like a precursor to the book of Revelation in that it clearly spells out these end-time events and what the tribulation is going to be like. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And if you put this in context, what is Jesus speaking about here? He's speaking of the tribulation period when in the midst of mayhem and famine and death and persecution, the good news of the gospel will have a worldwide impact and then the end will come. Which means that the rapture could take place at any time. Which means that you need to be rapture ready. It's not dependent on the gospel being preached to all nations because that will happen during the tribulation period. Does that make sense, church? So in closing this morning, when the world will experience its greatest mess, God will still be preaching the greatest message. Amen? The greatest message of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be permeating and flooding into the greatest mess the world will ever know. Satan and his demonic hordes will be unleashed on the earth like never before, but God, tell the person next to you, but God, but God will unleash the gospel upon the earth like never before to bring multitudes of people into his kingdom. And my call to anyone who's listening this morning, whether you're in the house or you're listening online, my call to you is to say, but God, before the tribulation. Why wait? Why not say yes now? Why don't accept Jesus Christ into your life while you still can? Before all these things, the things take place. Right now is the age of grace. It is the age of opportunity for anyone at any time to say yes to Jesus. And listen, in saying yes, you're probably not going to be killed for your faith tomorrow walking through the streets of Malbarton or Glen Vista or Maisdale. Or, you know, for that matter, in any suburb of our country. So life is, is pretty good right now. 
And you have an opportunity now to say yes to Jesus Christ before the age of grace finally closes. And it will close one day. And my question is, if this applies to you, why would you ever want to wait? When God says, I will forgive you now, and you can be a recipient of his plan of salvation now, then don't wait. If that applies to you this morning, and God has been speaking directly to your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to respond. The second call I want to make this morning is to everyone who is going through something really difficult in their lives right now. Maybe it feels to you like the enemy is having his way in your life, and it feels like nothing is working out the way that you wanted it to or the way that you planned it to. And you feel like your life is a mess and you don't know where to, to turn anymore. Whether it's got to do with your health, with your finances, with your business, whether it's got to do with your relationships, or something that's happened in your past, I want to say to you this morning, but God, but God, I want you to realize that God can work out all these things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. If that's you this morning and you want to shift your focus off of the problem and put it on the God that can give you the breakthrough that you really need, and you just need somebody to trust and pray with you for a but God moment as you put your trust in Him. I want to ask you to come up and, and one of our leaders will, will pray with you individually. Maybe we can just dim the lights for a few moments. Maybe there's someone here today that there is sin in your life that you need to confess in order for God to bring healing into the areas that need breakthrough. Come forward this morning and let the Lord bring restoration as you repent and turn back to His perfect will for your life. Is there someone that needs a, a but God moment this morning in their lives? Is there someone that needs a breakthrough? And God wants to meet you at your place of need this morning. If we could ask some of our leaders to come up just to be ready to pray this morning. Come forward. Come forward. We often want to fight these battles on our own thinking that we can work these things out by ourselves. But I want to say to you, God is the one that can bring breakthrough into your situation. God is the one that can bring healing into that area of your life this morning. If there is a brokenness that you've experienced in your past that you just can't seem to let go of, God is saying today is the day where He wants you to get breakthrough in that area so that you can move forward in freedom. Thank you, Jesus.